Thanks for coming out on this cold, snowy night to worship together. It's wonderful to be together. We are diving into Jonah, and uh, I'm so excited. We've been preparing for this for months, and so it's just uh, it's a blast to finally be going in, be diving in, or as I told my wife, sinking into Jonah. <laughs> Um, before I, I start, uh, Evan emailed me, he's, he's away, and he said, be sure to remind people of the 21 days, and uh, uh, last week I had acorns, this week we don't have acorns, because they uh, unfortunately got moldy, <laughs> so, but uh, we do want to remind you that um, October 15th, uh, we're going to start 21 days of intentional, uh, intentionally seeking God, and there's a little card that you can fill out specifically uh, a way that you feel God has called you to do that. It may look like fasting from food or from something else for that 21 days. It may look like uh, time set aside to pray uh, daily or weekly. It may uh, include a lot of different things as God leads you. We trust the Holy Spirit to lead you what that will look like in your lives. Um, there will also be times to pray corporately. And so 6.30 every morning, uh, Monday through Friday, this uh, exchange place will be open, and uh, we'll be, there will be people here praying, and uh, we'd love to have you come and, and join us for that time. So um, 21 days of intentionally seeking God. All right, you guys ready? Dive into Jonah. So let, let me just say this. Jonah is a, a really special book. It's uh, unlike many other books in the Bible, and something that is really important to realize is the Bible is made up of, of many different kinds of writing. And Jonah is a story, it's a narrative. And so how we engage and understand a narrative is different than, say, like a book like Romans or an, an epistle in the New Testament, or even a historic book like uh, uh, that it's, it's more his, history, like Kings or Chronicles, but, but Jonah has a really special place in the Bible. In fact, I, I'm pretty convinced Jesus uh, enjoyed Jonah as a, as a book and referred to it often, and even some of his parables uh, capture the meaning, uh, the parable of the father and the two sons, the prodigal son, as we often call it, is in many ways um, much like the story of Jonah. So let me just say this. As we start Jonah, we're going to see this book as historic in the sense that it, it encompasses real people. Jonah was a real prophet. In fact, in 2 Kings, it talks about Jonah. Uh, he served in the time of Jeroboam II. And so he was a, a real prophet. And uh, he served in a time when Israel was very prosperous. In fact, it was uh, Jeroboam was the king of the northern kingdom. Israel had been split up, and the northern kingdom had expanded to its furthest most um, borders and prosperity. And Jonah was a big part of that. Jonah was a, 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 a preacher who foretold that it would be a time of prosperity and of blessing. And so he, he had a really blessed ministry in the in the time, and was probably a very popular prophet. Um, he also lived really close to where Jesus grew up, near Nazareth. And so, um, so he, that's where he, where he lived. So we're going to see Jonah as both historic, but it's also a parable. It's a parable, meaning it has a, a meaning that is profound for our lives. And Jesus taught 
with parables because he knew the power of story to open our hearts and our minds. And so Jonah is both historic and, and it's a parable. And it's a parable, I think, that calls us ultimately to three things. And we're going to hear these three ideas through over the next six weeks as we go through this book. One, that God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger, abounding in love, and God relents from sending calamity. That's the first thing. You know, we, we live in a really, uh, a world that puts a lot of pressure on us to figure things out, right? Um, there's, if you go to the bookstore, there's tons of self-help books. If you go online, there's all kinds of articles covering every kind of human endeavor and things that you can improve or I can improve. And so we live in a world that is very centered on man, on us, right? Trying to figure it out, trying to make sense of everything around us. In this sense, Jonah is a radical book. It's a radical story that calls us to reorient our lives, not around ourselves, but on this God. And he's not any God. He's a gracious God, a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Aren't you thankful for that? (laughs) Beautiful picture of God. The second thing is God, he is gracious in his pursuit of lost people. We're going to see that in Jonah. And the third thing that we're going to see in Jonah is that God is gracious in his pursuit of his people. That's us. God is is pursuing you. Did you realize that? (laughs) And Jonah's going to remind us of that tonight and for the next five weeks. So I'm going to read in chapter one, and basically we're going to go, there's going to be different preachers over this series, but we're going to go through this entire book, but I'm going to read chapter one, uh, verses one through 16, and uh, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, or you could just sit back and listen. That's okay. It's, It's good just to listen to the story. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who makes the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. 
For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. What a story. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's just look at a few things um, here this evening. And there's so much here. Um, we really don't have enough time to explore everything. But I want to look at three different themes that are interwoven in and out throughout this first part of the story. One is God is speaking. God is speaking. And I think what he is speaking is grace. Two, Jonah is running, right? (laughs) Jonah is running. And three, the sailors, because they're the other big characters in this first part, the sailors, what are they doing? They're believing, They're believing. So God is speaking. Jonah is running. The sailors are believing. Let's look at this. Three um, things that are woven together um, as this uh, unfolds. First, God speaking. I don't want to minimize that because I think that is probably one of the most important messages that this story shares with us. God is a speaking God. (laughs) He is not a God far off. He's not a God who's distant or silent. He is a God who is speaking. The Bible tells us over and over that all of creation is speaking. And people themselves are aware that God is speaking to their consciences, to their hearts. And so the Bible portrays a God who speaks. He's also a God who speaks in special ways to people. Let's look at Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. (laughs) So God spoke to Jonah, and his word to Jonah was, go, go to Nineveh. We titled this series in Jonah, Grace Untethered. You see, I think we all like grace, right? Grace is a great word. It's a nice word. It's something we want, right? If, If you don't deserve something and then someone gives it to you anyway, what do you feel? Gratitude, right? awesome. (laughs) It's like, wow, amazing. The problem with grace is, for us, it's not based on what we think grace should be, but based on what God says grace should be. And that is dangerous. That is outside of our control. (laughs) That is not safe. The grace of God is not a safe grace. We tend to want to make God like us, I've traveled all over the world, and one of the things I've seen everywhere I go is you go into churches, and they have pictures of Jesus, or if you go into Catholic churches, they have images of Mary, and without fail, wherever you go, the pictures of Jesus or the images of Mary, what, reflect the people that are there. (laughs) So in Africa, very dark-skinned. Here in the U.S., very light-skinned. And and, in South America, brown-skinned. And so isn't it interesting that we like God to be like us? (laughs) But Jonah reminds us in this book that God is not like us. He is beyond us, above us. And remember Jonah, the prosperous, successful prophet in a time of wealth and safety and comfort gets a word from God, and it's not the word he was expecting. (laughs) Go to Nineveh. So Jonah runs. Why does Jonah run? Well, many of you know have uh, grown up in church and have heard that Nineveh was an enemy of Israel. 
And the Syrians were brutal, cruel people. And I think it's, it's interesting that where Nineveh was in Jonah's day is exactly where Iraq is today, where ISIS has their stronghold. So if you heard a word of God, or if I heard a word of God, Ben, I want you to go to Iraq and preach to ISIS. How would I feel? <laughs> right? How does Jonah feel? Man, he's like, man, these people are, they don't, they don't deserve preaching. And the message is God is against them. God doesn't like what they're doing. Well, Jonah would agree with that. But as we will find out in this story, Jonah knew God. And he knew what kind of God he was, that he was a God who was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And so Jonah said, there is no way I'm going to be part of bringing that to Nineveh. And so he ran away. He got on a ship, and it's interesting. Joppa, that port city, shows up in the Bible later. Uh, Peter, the apostle, later um, is in Joppa. If you remember back in Acts, what happens in Joppa? He has a dream, right? And in that dream, a sheet comes down with all kinds of animals, unclean animals, and he says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Isn't that interesting? Joppa. God is still speaking <laughs> to Peter thousands of years later after Jonah. And here he gets on a boat and he runs. He runs from God. And so we see God speaking to Jonah. Then we also see God speaking through the wind, through the wind. Because on the boat, it says in verse 4, the Lord sent a great wind. Now, I don't think this imagery or this picture of a storm or wind is an accident. Um, many of you have been in storms, and we have recently seen uh, a storm here in our country with hurricanes and de- the destruction. But when the Bible talks about wind, it's not a, a destructive wind. It's actually a picture of God's presence. Wind is an image of God's presence. Where do we see that? Genesis chapter 1, right? The Earth was formless and void, and it says the Spirit of the Lord hovers. And so that word spirit is, is really a wind, the presence of God hovering over the earth. In the New Testament, where do we see wind? After Jesus crucified, resurrected, ascends, says stay in Jerusalem. And so the believers are all gathered together in Jerusalem, and they're there praying, seeking God. And then what happens? A great wind sweeps through the wind through the room. What is it about wind? Can we control wind? We cannot. It's beyond our control. It's powerful. It's mysterious. And that is a a picture of God, a picture of greatness and power, cannot be controlled, cannot be contained. God is great. And And it says the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And this produced a violent storm. And, and I, I, I couldn't help but read this and be reminded of another storm where Jesus was, was with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And remember, in that storm, um, Jesus was sleeping on a boat. And the disciples were terrified. Um, I wonder, and I, don't, I, don't, I think this isn't a coincidence, if God wasn't speaking to the disciples just like he was speaking to Jonah and the sailors those many years later. Isn't it interesting that in the wind and the storm, God is speaking, but 
the sailors and Jonah are responding very differently. As we look at this weaving of God speaking, how does Jonah respond? How do the sailors respond? What's Jonah doing? Sleeping, right? Now, what's the difference between Jonah sleeping and Jesus sleeping on the boat? (laughs) Isn't that interesting to think about? There's two different kinds of sleeping. And I don't know how many of you have heard of a singer named Keith Green. He sang way back, um, I think, in the 70s, 60s, 70s. Yeah, there's a few people who know, know him. And um, he was a little before my time, but um, my dad had old cassettes, and so I got to listen to his, some of his songs. And he had a, a song called Asleep in the Light, and he was talking to the church. It was a prophetic call to the church to wake up, come out of their slumber. And the reality is sleep can have a dual image, a dual meaning picture. One, it can be kind of a rebellious sleep. Uh, uh, I like uh, what uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said is the worst kind of hatred is ambivalence, of, of just not caring. And, and that's kind of a, a rebellious sleep, just saying, I'm, I'm going to shut myself off from the world and, and just forget about everything. And so that, I think, is a picture of what we see Jonah doing. He, he goes to escape, to try to not listen <laughs> to what God is saying. And what is Jesus doing when he's asleep on the boat? It's a very different kind of sleep. It's a, uh, we have this phrase, sleeping like a baby, right? Where it's restful, <laughs> restorative, healing, trusting. That's the sleep of Jesus, absolute trust in his father. And what did Jesus always say? He says, I hear what my father says, and I always do what my father says. You see, Jesus could rest because he was listening to what the father said. But Jonah (laughs) is not listening. He's in the bottom of the boat. But are the sailors listening? They're, They're terrified. They're afraid, right? And they're crying out to God at that moment. And it's very clear that they don't know God. They don't know the God who Jonah knew. They were afraid. Isn't it interesting that Jesus rebuked the disciples for being afraid? Why did he rebuke them? They should have known their God. (laughs) They should have known that God was big enough, that he is the one who is the master of the storm and that he would take care of them, that he would watch over them. And yet the sailors in their... Um, desperation, are throwing things overboard. Jonah's asleep, and then they wake him up, right? And then God speaks to the sailors through what? Through lots, right? They cast lots, and it falls on Jonah. (laughs) It's not an accident. God is speaking. He points out to them that Jonah's the problem. And so they go, and they listen. They wake up Jonah, and they interrogate him. Jonah, wake up. (laughs) What's going on? Who are you from? What are you doing? What have you done to cause this incredible disaster on us? And I think this is probably, um, I was talking with uh, Chris and Evan about this, and and Chris uh, brought up that in many ways Jonah is a satire. (laughs) And you see that in verse 9 where the sailors are, are questioning him, and Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, right? And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, the maker of the sea. And they look at him and say, really? (laughs) And you're running away from him? And he made the sea, and you're running away from him on the sea? The sailors got it. They got it. They believed that God could do this. 
and Jonah asleep. And so the sailors listened. They heard what God said. I think there's an important question we have to grapple with here. Why does God send wind and storms into our lives? If God is really gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, not just sort of love, but abounding in love, and if we really believe God is good and wants what's best for us, why, why, these, why these difficult situations? I, I want to go back to Hebrews 12 where it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? You see, I believe Jonah was loved by God. God loved Jonah. Jonah was God's son. And he cared too much about Jonah just to let him get away. And it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son, and we can add daughter, whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? I, I had a friend who, uh, it, this really stuck in my mind. He said, Ben, when I was growing up, I was so angry because my parents were really strict and they always disciplined me when I did wrong. And, I, my, and he said, my best friend growing up, his parents let him do whatever he wanted and he never got in trouble once. And, and he said that, that he, he, he struggled with that growing up. But then as an adult, he said, I looked at my friend's life and I saw the disaster of his life. And he ended up in prison. He ended up in all these problems. And he, and he looked at his life and he says, I thank God that my parents disciplined me. <laughs> I thank God that they cared and loved me enough to discipline me, to show me what was right and what was wrong. This is what Job says. God, he crushes, but he also binds up. God, he strikes, but he also heals. Isn't that beautiful? God is a healing God. He wants our best. He wants us to, to, to be blessed. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to do well in everything, but he and his love will correct us. He will discipline us. And so Jonah was running. The sailors were listening. They were believing. Look what happens with the sailors. I think this is fascinating. They find out that Jonah is running away from God. And Jonah, he's pretty much given up. He says, go ahead, throw me over the, sh- the board. I think that's just Jonah saying, I'd rather die than obey God. I mean, h- how much more rebellious does that get? <laughs> just, just kill me. <laughs> I'd rather do that than, than go through the pain of having to go talk to the Ninevites. And so he was given up. But what's, what, notice the sailors. Do they give up? He says, throw me in. But they, it says, instead, they did their best to row. <laughs> what is it about the sailors? They are showing grace to Jonah. <laughs> Jonah didn't care about the sailors. He was asleep. He didn't care if they got hurt because of his disobedience. I mean, Jonah was really selfish here. I mean, he's just thinking about himself, and, and he doesn't care about the sailors. But the sailors, they care about Jonah. I mean, they're concerned for this guy. They're saying, man, we want to do everything we can to help this guy out. Who looks more like God at this point? The sailors, right? They, they're acting more like God than, than Jonah is because they're, they're doing everything they can 
to help this guy. And then when they finally realize they can't row out of this, they can't do this, they ask God to forgive them. <laughs> they say, please, have mercy on us for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable. So they're, they're concerned. They, they fear God. They're, they're actually concerned what God thinks. Jonah, he's given up. He's running away. He doesn't care. The sailors care. And so they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Remember Jesus with his disciples on the boat? What did he say? To the wind, be still. Be still. That's power. God has power. Here's what I want us to think about. God is speaking, and I think he's speaking to all of us all the time. <laughs> I, I don't think there's a moment in your life, even, even when you're in the storm, even when, it, even when things are going well, I think God is always speaking to you and me. He's always speaking. And he's ultimately revealed his word to us. But even through his word, through the Holy Spirit, he's speaking, he's pursuing us. Look at the sailors. These guys didn't know the word. They didn't know God, but God was speaking to them. And God is speaking to us. And so the question that we have to grapple with is how will we respond to God speaking? How will we listen to God and his call in our lives? I want to read a prayer from the Puritans. And I think this is... uh, um, really important in light of verse 16 where the, the sailors responded to God with worship because they understood the worth of God. They understood his glory, his greatness, and even his grace and his goodness. The sailors worshiped. They made a sacrifice. And as God is speaking to us, we can either run and harden our hearts or we can realize the worth and worship God. And so I'm going to read this prayer, this Puritan prayer, as, as we close tonight. Father, in a world of created, changeable things, Christ and his word alone remain unshaken. Oh, to forsake all creatures and rest as a stone on him, the foundation, to abide in him, to be born up by him. For all my mercies come through Christ who has designed, purchased, and promised and affected them. How sweet it is to be near him, the Lamb, filled with holy affections. When I sin against thee, I cross your will, your love, your life, and have no comfort or no creature to go to. My sin is not so much this or that particular evil, but my continual separation, disunion, and distance from you. And have having loosed spirit towards thee, but now you've given me a new present, Jesus, your son, as a mediator between myself and my soul, a middleman who in a pit holds both him below and him above, for only he can span the chasm breached by sin and satisfy divine justice. May I always lay a hold upon this mediator as I realized the object of faith, and alone worthy by his love to bridge the gulf. Let me know that he is dear to me in in his word, and I am with him by the word on his part and by faith on mine. And if I oppose the word, I oppose my Lord when he is most near. If I receive the word, I receive my Lord where he is nigh. O thou who hast the hearts of all men in your hand, 
from my heart, according to your word, according to the image of your Son, so shall Christ the word and his word be my strength and comfort.